somebody's understanding of something being dim meant more that the subject was dim rather than the thinker was dim. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Well, hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, we had a nice time talking last week about some words to do with insults of one's intelligence. We talked about idiot. We started there, but we talked about some other terms. Um turns out we have a whole bunch of terms that we like to use to insult people's intelligence in English. Uh, it's kind of a, a whole area to mine and usage. Are there more of these than there are of compliments to one's intelligence in English? Do we know that? I think so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, no doubt. There are lots of different ways to question somebody's intelligence and not that many to praise them. Right. Yeah. And certainly not as colorful. Um, I was going down the list here, and it looks like a number of these are all uh, centered around the head. Right. Of course, that's where the brain is, so it makes sense that we have a whole bunch of words that are related to what's in the head and what's not in the head. We talked about a few of them, but we could talk about a few more this time. Uh, I noticed that there's a number of them that are related to the head being empty. Yeah, well, one of the most popular, of course, is airhead. And I associate that with um, kind of California speak these days. Yeah, it's been around for a few decades now and um, has mostly been sort of scatterbrained, silly, frivolous person being an airhead. Um, but it also is associated with foolishness and lack of intelligence. Uh, interestingly, the word has been around a lot longer than that meaning with entirely different meanings. Mm -hmm. There was originally in mining, an airhead was a horizontal passage constructed to carry air to part of a mine. Uh -huh. And then, uh, of course, uh, if you're in the military, an air base close to an area of active operations where supplies and troops can be received and evacuated by air is an airhead, which is the comparable thing in the, to the Air Force to a beachhead for the Navy. So if you're relating this to mining and talking about airhead, uh, that's going to be related to the air passage that you need to survive in the mine uh, and not related to a particularly thick-headed miner. Yeah, neither of these reflect uh, anything to do with people. Although um, if you're a miner, being having a hard head is probably a good thing. Well, yeah, it would be. So uh, here's one that I don't think you could uh, misconstrue, or could you? Uh, is there any such alternative meaning for bubblehead? Yeah, well, bubblehead. Um, I hadn't heard that one, actually. It's another way of saying airhead. It's a little bit older. Um, and the idea is the same, that there's just nothing inside the skull except air, like inside a bubble. And when I looked at it, I thought, oh, bobblehead, that's the more familiar word. So let's talk about bobblehead a little bit, although that doesn't have anything much to do with stupidity. No. Um, but it has an interesting history. Wikipedia tells us that during the 17th century, figurines of Buddha and other religious figures called temple nodders were produced in Asia. 
And the ones I've seen don't have the enlarged heads. The heads move, but they don't have the great big heads. The earliest known Western reference to a bobblehead is thought to be in Nikolai Gogol's 1842 short story, The Overcoat, in which the main character's neck was described as like the necks of plaster cats which wag their heads. Aha. Uh -huh. So that would seem not to be an enlarged head either. Yeah, and those little figurines, those little bobblehead dolls of cats, that kind of rings a bell for me. I think I've seen some of those. Well, what I remember is the clocks that have the eyes that go back and forth. Yeah. The head doesn't wag, but anyway, this was evidently something different. Yeah. But during the 19th century, bisque-based bobbleheads were being made in limited quantities for the U.S. market. Many of the bobbleheads in the U.S. were produced in Germany with an uptick in imports during the 1920s and 30s. By the 1950s, bobbleheads had a substantial surge in popularity with the items made of either plastic or bisque. By 1960, Major League Baseball had gotten in on the action and produced a series of paper mache bobbleheads, one for each team, all with the same cherubic face and a few select players over time. The World Series held that year brought the first player-specific baseball bobbleheads for Roberto Clemente, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, and Willie Mays. Still all with the same face, considering what those guys look like. It's pretty remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, over the next decade, bobbleheads were also created with ceramics. Within a few years, they would be produced for other sports as well as cartoon characters. One of the most famous bobbleheads of all time also hails from this era, the Beatles bobblehead set, which is a valuable collectible today. So there are lots of bobbleheads around. Right. I've seen some presidential ones recently. In the world of baseball, uh, they died off for a while. You didn't see bobbleheads around for a number of years but there's been a huge revival of them now. So they will issue them in limited quantities to create scarcity and uh, create collectability, presumably, of these bobblehead dolls. On certain dates, they'll be given away to the first, oh, 10,000 who show up or something like that. It'll be, it'll be a, a limited number. And then uh, down the road, theoretically, if you were one of those lucky ones to get in early, and your bobblehead hasn't broken, you might be able to put it up on eBay for a sum. Okay. Back to bobbleheads. Not terribly common, but it just irresistibly reminded me of the old bubble hairdo from the 50s, which even at the time I thought was absurd, with the teased hair that gives the woman's head the shape of a melon cantaloupe baby. Yes. But, uh, yeah, bobblehead... Airhead, same thing. Yeah. And uh, going along with those, uh, not exactly denoting emptiness, but kind of a similar idea, a dead head, which I associate with the Grateful Dead. Yeah. I guess that this also maybe had been used as a synonym for stupid, a stupid person. Right. And I think the uh, association with the rock group has pretty much completely replaced the older meaning. It had an old meaning of being a person who was admitted to a performance or a public conveyance, like a bus or a train, without paying. So if you were performing at a venue and there were a lot of people in the audience who got in free, you'd say, well, there were a bunch of deadheads there that didn't pay their way. Uh, almost like deadbeats. Yeah, well, sort of, except often they were invited or they had some you know, free passes for some reason or other. 
I see. Well, that could just carry over to a Grateful Dead concert. I suppose. <laughs> there could be there could be deadhead deadheads. Right. In the Civil War, non-combatants in the military were called deadheads by the soldiers who felt that they were useless non-participants in the actual fighting. I see. And in uh, navigation on uh, water, a uh, submerged log was called a deadhead. Sometimes known as a snag. Uh, a snag is usually more like a stump. A submerged log is a deadhead. So lots of these are having meanings that are outside the realm of just insults. These are actually have some descriptive qualities to them that talk about things out of the real world that are not related at all to someone's intelligence. Well, the other most common one today is among gardeners, uh, deadheading flowers. It's a verb, to deadhead. Sure. Yes. Which is you pick off the faded or dried out flowers to encourage more flowers to bloom or simply to tidy up your bushes. We have too many to deadhead, in my opinion. <laughs> you have too many to deadhead, you said? Well, you start picking azaleas off a bush, you could spend a day doing that. But something else could be much more interesting. Right, right. But uh, if you are trying to encourage uh, growth for the following year, if you have some perennials out there, that could be a useful practice. Yeah. Um, I got interested in the deadhead name years ago when I heard the Grateful Dead. I knew of a history of uh, folklore and which was related to this idea. And so I did a little investigation and I just checked up on it in uh, Wikipedia again. Um, and it turns out that there are various explanations of how the group got its name. Jerry Garcia is the one who named it, but the, the band members have different opinions about what it meant. And they all agree it was chosen from a dictionary, a list of words. One story said they just saw dead on one page and, or uh, grateful on one page and dead on the other. I think it'd have to be a very slim dictionary to have those two facing each other. Um, According to Phil Lesh in his autobiography, Jerry Garcia picked up an old Britannica world language dictionary, and in that silvery elf voice, he said to me, hey man, how about the Grateful Dead? The definition there was the soul of a dead person or his angel, showing gratitude to someone who, as an act of charity, arranged their burial. So it has this uh, bizarre meaning. I think the bizarreness of it probably is what struck Garcia rather than the complex meaning of the folktales. But the term Grateful Dead appears in folklore and a variety of cultures. Right. And that's the one that I had heard and had associated with the origin of the name. But oh, like a lot of things that take off in popularity, the origin kind of gets subsumed under the overwhelming force of the thing that became very popular, the band, and uh, it gets completely disassociated from its original meaning. So uh, if you called somebody a deadhead today, um, they might feel complimented rather than insulted. Oh, sure. Yes. Or they would self-identify as a deadhead. Sure. So uh, it's not an insult at all. Now, another one that's related to not an empty head again, but just a very small one, theoretically not containing very much, and that would be a pinhead. This is Bill O'Reilly's favorite insult, right? Um, yeah, this one goes back quite a long ways and is especially associated with the old-fashioned carnival freak shows. It's an insulting term for a person with microcephaly, that is with an abnormally small brain and head. Mm. Um, 
which is really unfortunate kind of affliction. It's very familiar now as a byproduct of the Zika virus, and uh, there's a lot of concern about microcephaly. But it used to be treated as a joke, uh, like a lot of problems that people have had physically that were made fun of. The idea that your head is as small as a pin, can't hold very much in the way of brains, and therefore pretty dumb, um, was considered a humorous thing to say. Bill Griffith, the underground cartoonist, uh, oh, yeah. who started in 1971, began his comic strip, Zippy the Pinhead. Uh, this is a time when uh, underground cartoonists took great delight in doing what we would call politically incorrect. <laughs> they would just say, well, what would offend the most people? <laughs> what can I say? And they weren't always in line with liberal or leftist thinking at all. So Zippy the Pinhead is this character who is, I think, meant to recall one of these uh, carnival freaks with his pointed head and wears a clown costume and utters complete non sequiturs. He just, he's just totally irrational. It's not so much that he's stupid as he's just unplugged from logic in any way. And amazingly enough, he migrated from underground comics into the newspapers and is still published all these years later, um, still doing the same shtick. And uh, I don't know, I got kind of tired of Zippy the Penhead pretty fast, but some people really find him entertaining. Well, I guess so, if it's still around. But Bill Griffiths, where is he? He's not still doing it, is he? Yeah, yeah, he's still driving. Oh, he is, okay. All right. I have not been paying attention, but I do remember when Zippy the Pinhead showed up on the mainstream comics page and having a little bit of a shock because uh, I remember some of those origins of that comic. And I don't, I can't think of a lot of other ones that came out of the underground comics and made it into mainstream exactly. No, not really. I mean, I guess to some degree, um, uh, we've gotten to the point where the comics page is not really much of a touchstone. Everything has gone online, so there's a much more equal footing between what we would call mainstream and alternative comics. They're just comics. Right, and I think uh, the whole shtick of trying to shock people kind of exhausted itself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's just so many things you do with drugs, sex, and, and making fun of people's appearance and so on, and you go on to other things. Well, what about some of these terms that are still about the head, but the head in these cases full of material, but not brains? And here we get things like blockhead, bonehead chowderhead and so on and clodpole which is one of the ones i really liked we talked about that last time didn't we yeah we did yeah clodpole also clod pate is a variation on that one pate also being head um and clot which is short for clodpole i wasn't aware of that one were you before we started drawing up this list uh yeah i'd run into it yeah uh-huh in older literature okay yeah well, is there anything we have to say uh, of much interest about Blockhead? No, you know, it's much the same idea, but uh, one that almost everybody knows is Meathead. Meathead, for sure. And uh, Meathead got really popularized with the character from All in the Family. Yeah, Michael Stivick, played by Rob Reiner. And his father-in-law, Archie Bunker, always referred to him as Meathead. And uh, I don't know how popular the word was before, but it dates back to the mid-19th century. It wasn't invented for the show. 
No. And Reiner has made uh, an interesting career after being depicted as the butt of this arch-conservative's uh, sarcastic comments, played by Carol Connor, who is actually a liberal, but uh, delighted in playing this character. But uh, he's become a very active liberal and, of course, a very talented film director. Yes, and I remember um, he played the character that was known as Meathead, and uh, another one of our very talented directors and producers, Ron Howard, grew up playing the character of Opie on uh, The Andy Griffith Show. Right. And I remember the comedian David Steinberg wistfully remembering the days when our famous directors were, oh, these, you know, powerful, dynamic men. There was John Huston and Howard Hawks and John Ford, uh, you know, these manly men out there directing movies. And these days, the directing powerhouses are Opie and Meathead. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> well, times have changed. Um, Meathead is one that's uh, worth noting. Are some of these other ones, let's say I have... Uh, uh, we talked about Claude Pohl Chowderhead. Is there any interesting thing to say about that? Well, like your head's full of chowder. That's a very Mark Twain type of expression, too. Yeah, right. We also have Fathead, Hammerhead, we talked about, I think, last time, right? Yeah. Uh, hardhead, Knucklehead, we talked about already. Uh, lunkhead. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that one. You certainly call somebody a lunk, but that's more like a big lumpish brute. Right. Uh, Saphead is another one that I wasn't really terribly familiar with, but I'm familiar with Sap. Usually means somebody who's gullible rather than necessarily just stupid. Right, yeah. Uh, there's Thickhead, Woodenhead. What about some of these other ones where the, um, that connote darkness? We have a, a dim bulb. Yeah. And earlier is dim wet. Yes, okay. And it has to do with old meanings of dim earlier dim and unclear or obscure and it had to do with uh, somebody's understanding of something being dim meant more that the subject was dim rather than the thinker was dim and um, later the person's general intelligence is described as dim and people are just called dim period and dim wit doesn't seem to have been around a lot before the 1920s. And it may be associated with dim bulb. Uh, dim bulb, of course, referring to light bulbs, which were actually around 1910 is the first occurrence of dim bulb in print. 1904 is when the tungsten light bulb was made. They were, of course, invented long before, but they became much more common right about then. So people were paying attention to it. So a light bulb that wasn't particularly bright was compared to a person and when you call them a dim bulb. And I think that the shape of the bulb and the shape of a skull makes me think that this could be related to another one of those words about the head. Sure. Kind of a dim bulb. And this is actually also related to dull, which can refer to sight as well as other senses. Dull, meaning unintelligent, is actually somewhat older than dull, lacking in perceptibility. That is, uh, a color is dull, or the light is dull, is also dim. But it really had this uh, stupidity meaning earlier than it got applied to other senses and to sound. In fact, dull was often used to refer to people who are hard of hearing. Yeah. 
But then in mid-15th century, which is a long time ago, the noun dullard uh, evolved and lasted for a good long time. I think it's pretty well died out by now, but it was a person who lacked acuity of wits. That's dull. Of course, it could have to do with lack of sharpness. Also, we say the person's intelligence is sharp, you know, like a knife cut through. And, but Dull seems to have had this sense of stupidity, even apart from that uh, opposition to sharpness. Well, and you'll still hear it from time to time. You know, yeah, you're right. Dullard has sort of fallen off the table here, but you will see it from time to time and you will hear Dull. But it's much more likely, of course, a dull person is just boring. Right. Uninteresting. Yeah. Whereas a Dullard is always stupid. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, we have also related to the head, uh, related to incompetence in the head, lame brain. Yeah. This is one that's fallen out of favor, I think, because uh, lame itself is considered a derogatory term for somebody who's suffering from a handicap, a physical handicap. Right. All right. Well, uh, we have a whole other category of these terms. Are we ready to move on to animals? Yeah, why not? So, uh I got intrigued because a number of these terms are related to animals. And, of course, you know, we think of a giraffe, for example, as sort of neutral. (laughs) I don't think anybody would ever be called a giraffe in any kind of positive or negative sense. Uh, Somebody could be a lion, a lion of industry or something. It could be something powerful. It's got a good association generally. But there are a number of unfortunate members of the animal kingdom that get associated with uh, stupidity. And we'll start with bird brain. Right, bird brain. I think people who developed this idea were thinking of little birds. Mm -hmm. And therefore, small skull, small brain, not smart. But research has shown that some birds have remarkable brains, parrots most people know about. But uh, a lot of research has been done recently on crows. Not all crows are equally intelligent. There are various species that have more intelligence. But at the University of Washington, there's been a lot of study. Uh, A professor um, actually did a test where he would go out and do unpleasant things, (laughs) like throw rocks at the birds. I don't remember exactly what he did. Um, But they would remember him Mm -hmm. and come out and attack him. I think he even had students wear a mask with his face on it, and they they would remember that as well. But crows have been observed using tools in a way that no other animal has. Mm-hmm. Uh, picking up something with a stick by inserting a stick into it. Um, they're really remarkably intelligent animals. So a bird brain uh, not, not be a misnomer. But I think you're right. People are thinking of small birds, songbirds or things like that. And uh, flighty maybe could be associated with it too. It originated during World War II. It's not a really old word. Right. And, of course, we have ass and donkey. That animal is associated with stupidity. Uh, There's a word, I guess this is an old word for this, cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y. But I didn't know that one until I came across it on your list. The donkey is a really interesting one, I think. Uh, it's got more variations on it than anybody else. You can call somebody a donkey or an ass or a jackass or a dumbass. Mm-hmm. Or a cuddy, we just mentioned, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that one I wasn't familiar with. <laughs> it was on a list someplace, but I don't think that that one is commonly used anywhere. 
<laughs> okay. So there were quite a few different explanations of why donkeys were considered stupid. Um, there's some people argue that they're actually smarter than horses. And one argument is that donkeys are too obedient. They'll do whatever they're told and they're given all kinds of tasks and therefore uh, they don't have a brain of their own. However, donkeys also have a reputation for being stubborn and refusing to do what they're told. And that's also put forward as a, a reason for calling a stupid person a donkey because they're just uh, too stubborn, to, too slow to react to things, uh, to change their minds, and so on. So that really doesn't leave us uh, with much of an explanation. But I ran into a whole page of people debating this. And uh, this woman, Rachel Ann Concesio, I don't know what her expertise is, but she wrote a very eloquent description, which I thought was quite neat. Donkeys, contrary to popular belief, aren't stupid, but very intelligent. For example, one, donkeys are able to remember places and other donkeys for up to 25 years. Two, donkeys are not easily spooked and will not do something considered unsafe. Unlike horses, donkeys cannot be easily startled, as well as you cannot force or frighten them to do something they consider unsafe. Three, donkeys have a very independent way of thinking. They will make decisions based on their safety or curiosity. Four, donkeys are highly curious animals. Overall, donkeys are highly curious and playful animals who will remain loyal to you once you earn their trust. So she puts together those two things of having a mind of their own and also being obedient and says that marks them as smart, not stupid. Well, I think that if you are refusing to do something that's going to endanger you, um, you shouldn't be called a stupid in any way. Well, and if you don't feel like hauling a load of coal, that <laughs> strikes me as not a sign of stupidity. Yes, right, right, right. Yeah, so stubbornness is certainly associated with donkeys as well. Well, I guess if somebody calls me a donkey, I'm going to choose to take it as a compliment rather than an insult. Yeah, and the jackass and dumbass and ass and all that has gotten cross-pollinated, of course, with the other meaning of ass. And I think that's why it remains in the language. People don't even think about the donkey. True. That's true. And uh, there's a couple of other ones you have here. Mutt and turkey, also animals. Yeah, I didn't really research those because I didn't consider them very hard. I don't know why some of these wind up on lists myself. Uh, a mutt is ordinary, but that doesn't necessarily mean stupid. Right. And a turkey is not necessarily stupid. I think of a, you know, oh, don't be a turkey, meaning just don't be a jerk. Although turkeys are genuine bird brains. <laughs> not wild turkeys, but the tame ones have been bred to have enormous breasts. So yes. for people who like white meat, which never made sense to me since I prefer dark meat by a lot. Um, but it is said that turkeys are stupid enough so that when it rains, they can drown by just opening their mouths and looking up at the sky. I don't know if that's true, but I've often heard it said. Uh, I've often heard that too, yes. Unfortunately, domestic turkeys that are bred for their meat, uh, very little attention is paid to their brains, I think, in that breeding. Yeah. And we have a, some others that just sound uh, like there's only one way that the meaning could go. I call them onomatopoeic. Um, we talked about chucklehead last time, but there's a whole bunch of these like cluck and clunk and dolt. They don't have any other meaning outside of just name calling for someone you want to insult, right? Uh, mostly. 
a cluck. Of course, cluck does have different meanings. Uh, chicken clucks uh, as a verb. Mm -hmm. uh, a clunk uh, is a sound, as well as a dolt is certainly very common. Dork, I don't know. To me, I don't associate dork with stupidity, rather with social awkwardness. Yeah, a little bit like a turkey. Yeah. And uh, ninnies we talked about before, and some of the others that are on this list I don't think are particularly interesting. Yeah, well, let's just mention quickly, we also had along this list, we had uh, Naughty, Oaf, Schlub, Schnook, uh, Yahoo, which must be related to Swift, right? Absolutely, it's taken directly from Swift for the uh, brutal, mindless creatures that he encounters in Gulliver's Travels. Yes. And yo-yo, I associate that with Don Rickles. Yeah, and I remember it from my childhood, but I don't think it's very much around anymore, but it dates from the 1930s, stupid person. And it was interesting, uh, when I tried to check the etymology, they said that yo-yo uh, used to mean male genitals. Oh. And so when you called somebody a yo-yo, it was the same as today you would call somebody a dick. Mm -hmm. Except that now a dick is more of an obnoxious person than a stupid person. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, so that's probably what Don Rickles had in mind. He was the king of insults. Right, yeah. And that was one of his favorites, you yo-yo. Um, well, I want to next time talk about another form of these. We'll talk about adjectives. Well, I have some more of these nouns. Oh, and, okay, so we have some more nouns to go through, and we also want to move on to adjectives. But let's save that for next time, shall we? Okay. All right. Thank you, Paul. All right. Bye. That's all for the podcast this week. As usual, you can send your comments and questions to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, buy the book. The Common Errors in English Usage book can be bought online at your favorite online seller at our website, wmjasco.com with free shipping. Thanks for listening.